When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you like what you're hearing right now? Then be sure to check out VOC Nation. Whether it's on VOCNation.com or your favorite podcast provider, VOC Nation offers the greatest in live and on-demand content, great interviews, and incredible insight from those who have lived the business. Seven days a week, VOCNation.com. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter at VOCNation. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Rock and Roll Union Streamcast. It has been some time since we've had uh, the pleasure of talking to you guys, speaking with people, uh, hanging with people. Tonight we have a great show for you. We have Jesse Rice. This is our third week. On to the VOC Nation. We've been here all month, but uh, we talked a little bit before we came on air about how everybody's been dealing with this mucus, sinus, nasty crap that popped up in 2024. I think everybody and their mothers had this thing. But, uh, Bill, how are you, my friend? Doing a lot better. I mean, um, I won't go through the litany of drugs or whatever I've been taking to <laughs> get over this. But, yeah, we're doing a lot better in the recent days. Thanks for asking. And, guys, please welcome Island Bobby. Island Bobby's going to be hanging. He is my brother as far as uh, life is concerned. But we've been in the trenches with Trop Rock. We've been in the trenches so many Buffett, Chesney, Tropic Island shows together on the beaches, everywhere in between. So uh, Island Bobby will be with us when we do our Trop Rock shows. But guys, uh, it is my pleasure now. We're going to just get right to the interview because I don't want to hold this gentleman up. Please welcome Jesse Rice. Jesse, are you with us? Hey, can you guys hear me? We can hear you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for uh <clears throat> taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk to us this evening. Uh, Jesse, we're all big fans, man. Um, just wanted to uh, say congratulations on Pirate Session 5. It is thank you a remarkable album. I wanted to ask uh, right out the gate, you know, we started doing something here called Trap Rock and Wednesdays, where mm-hmm. we do uh, the, last <clears throat> the last Wednesday of every month, for Trap Rock, we've had some amazing guests on. Uh, we've had, uh, uh, just trying to think, Mike Nash has been on, Kelly McGuire has been on, some yeah. great guys in that environment. And I've asked the same question as far as when we start getting moving on Trap Rock is concerned. What would you consider, uh, Jess, is the, the um, difference between contemporary country music and the Trap Rock world? Oh, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> probably one that I could probably write a dissertation on, I, I probably <laughs> assume. Um, but uh, um, for me, uh, I mean, obviously, I'm, you know, I am, I've kind of have a unique um, experience with that in the fact that, you know, for the first, um, well, and still, uh, but the first, you know, 12 to 15 years of my career, I was, I mean, I'm a country songwriter that I was, you know, writing song country songs for other artists uh, in the country radio format um, while simultaneously doing my pirate sessions. And I still do that to some degree, although the, um, I would say that like the, uh, 
balance of that focus has shifted to more, you know, with my artistry with pirate sessions and stuff like that. Um, modern country music to me, for me, I, I think the aspect of trop rock and as it relates to country music is I think it sort of where trop rock is now um, is maybe more reminiscent to me of um, how country used to be, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. Gotcha. Where it's, um, yeah, I think the format of trop rock, and certainly one of the reasons I'm interested in it, is that it's it's a it's a conglomeration of you know um, many different types of music, but I think it all really is about songwriting, storytelling. Where I don't see a ton of that in modern day country music. It, it, um, how it used to be. I mean, country music used to be the storytelling genre. Right. Um, now I think a lot of it is just kind of production based and very formulaic. Um, whereas shop rock, you know, you, you have kind of across the board, you know, in shop rock, you've got, you can have your singer songwriter people, but you can have your, you know, very, um, you know, your buffety kind of things, but you know, also, also includes you know reggae people and and southern rock, you know, sort of like we met, you mentioned Mike Mike Nash and like Southern Draw Band, people like Eric Erdman, you know, with more blues influenced. So, I think to me, you know, just see a more more variety of of, um, of sort of genres melded into one. Where, I mean, I I, I I'll say it out loud. I've I've said it for years that you know I, I do feel that it might be moving away from that, but at least recently modern country music has been a little bit formulaic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, Chelsea, I did want to introduce you to my two other co-hosts that are with me here. Uh, hey. Bill and my good friend, Alan Bobby. Hey, Bill. Hey, Bobby. Hey, all doing? How are you doing? Great to meet you. Great to meet and, you guys uh, too. I'm going to let Bill ask this next question. Absolutely. Sure thing. Thank you, CT. Um, it's a pleasure to talk with you, Bobby, to be sure. One thing that I, um, I'm very curious about, and you mentioned it a moment ago about uh, your career, the fact that you've spent a fair amount of time writing music for other artists as well as, you know, to perform yourself. One of the things I'm curious about is how you approach the writing process when you're writing for others versus writing songs that are you know, going to be taken uh, on stage by yourself. I mean, mm -hmm. is there a different approach that you use or, you know, different... Uh, techniques that uh, come into play depending upon who you're writing for yeah i um <clears throat> the pirate session stuff has always been something that's been sort of my thing right it's been my baby it's been my it's my and so i'm a little I, i'm very when i'm writing for pirate session stuff well one it comes more naturally to me i believe but um i i write so many of those songs by myself like um i would probably suffice to say that um over the course of the pirate sessions um i think i've recorded for those over the la over the course of the five pirate session songs i want to say someone in the vicinity of um you know right around um like 50 52 songs or something like that and i for those records and i mean just the ones that i've recorded for those records i've obviously written way more than that um you know uh to, to get a pile to choose from but uh, of those of the ones that's been on the pirate sessions i'm a i've written 
I'd say 75% of those solo, like as my, just me. Um, whereas in my country music career, um, you know, the country music hits I've had on the radio and then, you know, stuff like that. Those are always co-writes that, you know, one, two, three, sometimes even four other people. Um, and so my approach changes. I like, I, I like writing with pirate sessions because it is uniquely me. It's my art. And as such, I've allowed myself to, and I think what works is I do have a very strong internal editor, something I've learned and practiced and, and just been able to be, you know, worked on and have a gift of being able to, to, to critique myself in a very, uh, you know, stern way. Right. A lot, you know, I, I'm not one of those people that's like, you know, I think, you know, Oh, everything I come out with is wonderful. I'm actually probably my harshest, harshest critic on that. Um, whereas, you know, in a, in a country co-write with other people around, I am actually like less strict when I'm around those people than I would be on my own self. I'm w- w- way more l- willing to let things slide. Whereas, with the pirate session stuff, I, if I'm, if I've got a tune that I know that, that I'm on, that's good. Uh, I will hone that tune until I truly believe it's the best that it could possibly be. Whereas with the country co-write, uh, a lot less, um, I, I, I don't know if I dig in a lot less. I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, just a different methodology when I, when I do both of those things, um, I think they're both unique. I love doing both. Um, I think for me, Pirate Sessions writing those tunes has always been more personal. So I think that makes a difference. Awesome. Bobby? Jesse, nice to meet you. First of all, big fan. Big fan. Um, My question for you is um, you wrote a song, Cruise, for one of my favorite bands, Florida Georgia Line. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I, how did that come about? You know, um, <clears throat> that was an incredible day. Uh, I don't think, you know, we, of course, we when the day that we, we wrote that song, we had no idea what it would do. Um, we, those guys, actually, it was, if you look at the notes on it, it says five writers. Right, right, right. The day that we wrote it was just me, Chase Rice, and Brian Kelly. Uh, we were at my townhouse in Nashville and um, we were actually in the middle of writing another song, a uh, country song that we had written um, called when God runs out of rain. And we were kind of about halfway through that song and really liking what that was. And we're like, you know, it's a good time to go take a break for lunch. So we came back, went to lunch and then came back. And as we're sort of settling into the groove of, um, you know, getting back into the creative mindset, uh, Brian Kelly started playing this um, riff on the guitar, just sort of a little rhythmic riff. Uh, and it was a riff that when I was in college, that it was a chord progression that I had when I was sort of cutting the teeth in college and <clears throat> playing the downtown bars and stuff like that. You know, these three, four hour gigs that you're just, you know, slopping to get through and trying to take time. I would do this rap medley over about those same four chords and I would do it for 30 minutes and it would just take, I would just take different rap songs. And so something I was super familiar with. So he started playing that. I don't know what happened. It just harkened back into my days of that. And I just kind of started freestyling this little verse, which ended up, you know, being the first verse of the song. And 
then uh, you know, we were kind of like, just in that moment, we were like, oh, this is fresh. This sounds cool. And we got started, got that baby, baby your song kind of thing going on. And we really just wrote that thing in about 45 minutes. Wow. Um, and then kind of put a little, you know, a little kind of just crappy work tape down on the phone or whatever computer, whatever we were recording at the time, laptop. And then we went back and we finished when God runs out of rain. Uh, and really a dug into that song. That was a more serious song. And uh, yeah, it was, um, it was, I don't think in the moment we knew what we had, but um, I think at, we went on tour shortly thereafter. It was me, Chase and Florida Georgia line doing a little college circuit tour around the Southeast. And I was, I was actually playing cruise in my set as a Jesse Rice song. And I was doing sound check one day. It was getting some great feedback. People were digging it when I was playing it out of these places we were at. And at sound check one day, Brian actually got up on stage to sound check um, while I was sound checking. He started singing harmonies on me singing cruise. And I, Tyler, the lead singer for FGL, heard that. He comes in. He's like, dude, man, that sounds good with two people singing it. He said, Man, he's like, I truly think that that we we said we would sound awesome doing that, you know, as a Florida Georgia Line thing. He's like, would you mind if we work it up and did it tomorrow night? And I was like, no, absolutely not. So it became a song that I was doing <laughs> on my uh, for me into into their song, and I'll never forget the first time they sang it. It was Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and um, and from then on, it was like, yeah, that's their song, and obviously went out into the world. And, did what it did, which is just, I mean, it keeps growing and growing and growing. I got a, an uh, email from the RIAA the other day that had said it has passed 15 million. Um, wow. Lord, which is I believe like the seventh largest selling song uh, right now of, of all time. So that's yeah, crazy. Jeez. Yeah. So Jesse, I got to ask you um, from being a big fan of yours, hearing most of what you've recorded, um, you can't help but tell that you're a big parrot head, uh, big <laughs> Buffett fan, big parrot head like the rest of us. I oh, got to yeah. ask, I mean, we're, we're four months removed from mm-hmm. the passing of Jimmy. How has that loss affected you? Oh man. Oh, that's a good question. And, um, you know, I, certainly, you know, as a songwriter, I mean, that, that, a lot of people love Jimmy for a lot of things, and and, and I do. Uh, but you know, for me, I think the connection with him always has been, even from from back in the day of when I first started learning about him and knowing him when I was younger, is that I felt a connection to to really sort of who he was as a songwriter, how he went about writing his songs, being a storyteller. You know, the ultimate storyteller. Um, and we have a lot in common, you know, because I I feel like that, that I'm that way. He was a history major. I was a, I was a history major. Uh, we both had this sort of curious, like you know, uh, insatiable thirst of learning about the world and and the idiosyncrasies of the characters in it, you know. Um, and I think that that awesome curiosity of his is something I always miss. And 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 the way that he portrayed that, uh, to, you know, through song and to to everyone out there. And you know, I got that news when I was actually I was out in. Um, uh, ironically enough, I was actually doing a show that day at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa, which um, if y'all are not familiar with that, 
um, is a venerable old uh, great stage doo-wop dance hall. Um, and that was the location of the show uh, that was going on that night before Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and the Big oh, Bopper hopped oh, on that wow. plane. So I woke up in the morning. My show was at noon. It was part of a festival. I was the first person to perform in the line of shows that day. Woke up in the morning to hearing about Jimmy's passing. And I had to go play a show to a ballroom full of packed, sad uh, parrot heads mm-hmm. in the place that was literally what Don McLean wrote the day the music died about. You know, and I'm like, the, 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 the gravity and the, the symmetry and irony of that moment was absolutely not lost on me and, and it was um, certainly something I will, I'm, I will never forget that moment and that day. Um, but yeah, it's been, you know, I've got a bunch of Buffett stuff in my office and my studio and, um, you know, um, I just can only hope to sort of, you know, continue the legacy of, of, of the way that he, he wrote and created and the vibe that he brought to people. I think that's in, something that's important to me. I've had a lot of people say that, that, you know, Hey man, you know, the closest thing we got, you know, and I don't take that lightly. So, um, I want to, I want to keep, keep, keep that up. And I must say just real quick that, uh, Buffett was probably the reason why I think me and I and Bobby both found you was just <laughs> being in that circle. Awesome. But, uh, Bill, question? Sure. Um, you had mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, Jesse, that um, on uh, the Pirate Session albums that you tend to really work a song and uh, you know, try to make it the best it possibly can be when you see that it's a good one and you want to make it uh, really stand out. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to get a sense for you, uh, you know, from your perspective on what, the components are for a good song. One of them, I'm sure, from the mm. comments you made already, is that uh, the story is there and uh, that it conveys something of meaning to your audience. But I'm curious if there are other components that uh, you strive to include in a good song as well. Yeah, and I think um, that's a great question. And I, I think that the answer to me in there lies that you know, you know, it takes you have to have a, a sort of a knowledge that every song can be good in or each every good song can be good in in various ways right like i have some songs that you know on my pirate session stuff like you know which is first for example a song called get your island on all that is is a catchy sort of up-tempo feel good beachy tune and it's super not complicated at all <clears throat> so i think the 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 key with something like that is right not to overcomplicate it um whereas like you know this last record i put out i think there was a depth to those songs that i'd never really kind of done before there was a level of a, a sort of a layer that that i could sort of kicked into um as i was you know as the project was growing and um that there was probably a little more, um, you know, of maturation, a little more maturity and, in, in, uh, sort of, a, uh, yeah, like a depth to those songs. Um, and 
that's what made them good to me, I think, is because they were. Uh, I felt like it, it was a project where I really put a lot of heart and soul into it. Um, and so I, I guess to answer the question is that there is no answer to that question uh, um, <laughs> other, other than knowing, you know, what what feels good, what, what feels meaningful, what feels right. And, and those all change, right. From, from tune to tune. Um, and to me, that's what's the wonderful and brilliant thing about songwriting. And one of the things that I think with my craft and my art, especially the albums that I, that I've been making with, um, especially pirate sessions four and pirate sessions five, is that I, one of the greatest compliments that someone can give me is, or two, two of the ones that I love is that they say, Hey, I can listen to your, your records all the way down. I don't have to skip a song. And I, 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 I'm, I love hearing that. And another th- one is that, you know, my favorite song on the album changes all the time. <laughs> that means to me that I've done my job, right. That I've cr- created something that can stand by itself and listen I make these as listenable records. I want, I don't, I, I, you know, in this day of, in age of everybody puts out content and, um, you know, Hey, we need a new single. Hey, let me release 45 songs this month. And <laughs> like, I, I, that's never been me and not ever going to be me. I look at these things as entities and projects and I want people to go on a journey when they listen to them. And I literally make sure, I mean, I, how many hours I, I go through, uh, making sure that the order of the songs on the album, they all play into each other and matter because it's true. Those truly are meant to be listened to front to back um, as a journey. Um, and I think that that, you know, <clears throat> I think the, the complexity more so of the, of what you're asking uh, comes for me and, and, and sort of how I put those projects together. Um but yeah, that, I mean, it's a great question because it can mean all all kind of things. Uh, I think um, I know that doesn't maybe hammer it down, but um, I think that's what I got. <laughs> no, I, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I appreciate you're going into detail on it. Yeah, I'm sure. really enthused to hear that um, you still are looking at uh, your creation process towards creating an entity, creating an album, as opposed to just uh, putting out um, a single to stream. I mean, in this day and age, it's really refreshing to hear that, uh, you know, we still have artists who are interested in uh, longer form works and uh, that, uh, that, and it's uh, obvious that you've got a fan base that appreciates the fact that you do that. So that's Yeah, wonderful. absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. So, uh, Bobby, uh, your, your question, I know where uh, I, I just want to be mindful of your time, Jesse. I know you got some things to get to, uh, I'm just going to let Bobby ask one more question, then we'll wrap it up if that's all right with you. Yeah, sounds good, man. Go ahead, Bobby. Uh, Jesse, um, your favorite song of mine is Key West Time. Now, I <laughs> yeah. Got, I finally got to go to Key West a couple of years ago, and I got to tell you, that the song's 100% right. There is no time. <laughs> My question for you is when you went to Key West for your first time, did you write that song after your first time in Key West? Uh, so yes, I, I had written that song. Well, so I wrote that song. It was me, 
Actually, this it was it was this uh, me and the, the two Florida Georgia Line guys, Brian and Kelly and Tyler Hubbard, and we had written that because they were about to go down there for their first time, and we were talking about the the need. They were like, "We don't have we don't really have any beach songs to play," and I was like, "Well, we got to get you one to play because we we're all doing like a, a songwriters round together." And I had had Sweet Kind of Summer, I think, was like, at that point, my only beachy song. And so there's a line in, a, in Sweet Kind of Summer that says something about, you know, um, Key West time. So <clears throat> I was like, why don't we take that line and make it a, new, make it a whole other song? I mean, that's actually what we did with the entire first Pirate Sessions. Every song on that record um, was derived from a line in another song on that record. So it's like a completely linear project and intertwined in the, in the fact that the first eight songs of the Pirate Sessions, so Pirate Sessions 1, are completely related to each other through a lyric in another song. Wow. Um, and for that one, that was Sweet Kind of Summer that begat Key West Time. And yes, I just drew from my experiences and everything I love down there about it. And... Uh, we, we wrote that and we actually had a foresight to sort of record it before we went down there and be for the BMI songwriters festival. And they, they used it as their uh, song on their uh, website for, for the festival. So, um, but yeah, it is a, it's a true, true feel good, um, wonderful place. And, and uh, I'm glad you got a chance to experience that. And uh, I, you know, it, that song encapsulates it so much. And I'll just be dead frank with you. I don't listen to my music a lot, but so every time I go down to the Keys, I put that one on. <laughs> I listen to it on the plane on the way down. Awesome. <laughs> Get you right in the mood for it, right? Oh, it did. It put me right in the mood. Awesome. So, Jesse, the last thing I wanted to say, just because uh, I had to throw them out there a little bit, because they've been so cool with sharing uh, the news of this coming podcast and hearing from you, is Highlights Tiki Bar. Yeah, uh, I know brother. you got a show coming up. Uh, I, I told him that I would ask you a question related to highlights and mm -hmm. uh, just get your take on the whole highlights uh, uh, backyard party and how that whole situation is. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's um, obviously highlights has been one of the uh, places that <clears throat> over the few, last few years uh, has truly become one of my favorite places to play. I think that Jason and Shana do a wonderful job with that place. I, I encourage anybody that's listening to, if they can try to go, try to come to a show at highlights, whether it be one of mine or, or, or another one of the shows. Um, mine have been a little hard to get to. I believe Jason told me my, uh, my tickets for this one that's coming up in May sold out in 30 seconds. I don't think I was like, is that a typo man? And he was like, no, it sold out in 30 seconds. Um, but it's just it's a it's a wonderful way to see a show, and they have just done this wonderful thing with their with their bar and their venue and their location and how they go about putting the show on. Um, and it's just again, it's, it's become such a, a, a unique place that um, for me that we've actually done multiple shows, um, one in the spring and one in the fall, um, and it's just uh, it it you know the people that are in that area are very. Um, very great, you know, great crowd goers. How, how would you say great fans? They tend to show up and like really support the music uh, in a way that you don't necessarily see at a lot of the other places. Um, 
and it's just become you know really just for me it's become my east coast home as far as like where i where i like to play shows uh in that area and that's a great tribute to 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 jason and Shayna and the thing that they've built there at highlights and from highlights to my last question jesse for you is uh any upcoming dates or possibilities of philadelphia area maybe jersey shore um so i am doing um Obviously, highlights, I believe, is on May 18th. I'll be in Dewey, Delaware on May 19th. Um, had some works, I think, for a Pennsylvania show. I'm not sure where that is. I'll have to um, have – that <clears throat> it was something in Harrisonburg, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, that we might be doing. Um, but as far as the <clears throat> Northeast, uh, that's about – that's a, I think that's about it for me up there. Um, gotcha. And, and it's like, you know, it changes every year. Uh, so – I'd love to do more shows in the Northeast, but as I've explained to some people, you know, it's like we, my manager, Mark, and the guy that kind of helps my booking and stuff like that. It's like, you know, we take what comes in, right. And, and what comes in at the, in the right, you know, the right range and stuff like that. Um, so if anybody's listening that's out in the Northeast and knows some places that would be great fits and venues, I would love to, I'd love to get up there. And um, it's kind of been a while since I've done a nice Northeastern run. So um maybe for 2025 uh, we could work on that pretty good that'd be awesome jesse yeah, thank it. you so much for taking some time to hang with us tonight uh Absolutely. anything anything you like to say in closing well, i think i'm covered this is excellent conversation jesse thanks for joining us thank you guys so much for having me thanks uh, pleasure talking to you yeah thank y'all for the support of my music uh thank you guys for having me on and i uh, hope to maybe see you guys out at a show sometime soon absolutely got it uh, all right. Thank you so Take much, care. sir. Have a great Thank night. Thank you, guys. Y'all, too. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Guys, so there was Jesse Rice, man. Really, really <laughs> down to earth and uh, really uh, great guy to talk to. Amazing hearing some of that, uh, the, the stories and the Key West stuff. And, man, I'm really looking forward to seeing where what I'm calling Trop Rock and Wednesdays goes to. I mean, there's a lot of storytelling which is my favorite. You know, I like a lot of the Americana. I like a lot of the storytelling. To me, uh, I don't know. I mean, Bobby, you could tell me as far as rock, uh, trop rock is concerned, there is a big difference between country music and trop rock. Still has that taste of rock and roll to it. And um, it's not commercial country by any means. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, he made a very interesting point um, as far as how you know, the country music business has uh, sort of turned itself uh, on its side in uh, the course of the last 20 years or so. Back um, when I was a kid, you know, going back to the 60s and 70s, country music was the storytelling medium, to be sure. That changed sometime, I think, around like the early 90s with the likes of Garth Brooks and such, where country music really got um, a more um theatricized yeah, became more like shows like what uh, genesis and queen were doing yeah mm-hmm. and um you know trap rock is sort of like the vestige of um what country music used to be back in the day yeah you know uh jesse said something as far as 15 20 years ago and i really do feel like country music changed a lot in the early 2000s it was almost like a southern rock offshoot at mm-hmm. that point in the early 2000s it was like a southern rock offshoot 
and you did have some storytelling in country right now. I think your greatest storytellers are like Zach Brown. I think Chris Stapleton is phenomenal for his songwriting, but it's, it has become for, formulaic. It has become talk about the same things, talk about the cliche things. And I think for a, a big part, those that kind of fell away from country kind of felt that. What do you think, Bobby? Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, things have changed over the years. I mean, you, you went from country, like, listen to country, you're like, oh, country, you know, and then it started going into, like, like the pop rock country, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I mean, you can't knock Florida Georgia Line. I know they're not your favorite, Chris, but, um, you know, they do put out some good music, and like I said, Jesse's a part of that music. Yeah. So, I mean... You know, it's a shame I didn't get to ask him that last question. I was going to ask him about too drunk to meet Jimmy Buffett, but we didn't get to that because yeah. that that would have been a good conversation right there. And I was trying to decide between that one and asking about my favorite song, but it is what it is. I mean, maybe we'll get to meet him. I I, I know that if he did AC, he'd sell out probably anywhere he books in AC because especially in the summertime. I got a strong feeling, honestly, with, and this isn't flaunting anything, but I got a strong feeling that if I can talk my friends in Atlantis into booking Jesse, I think it would be a very well-attended show. Oh, yeah. And I think it would go over exceptionally well, uh, especially, like you said, in the summertime date. Yeah, summertime. Everybody wants, you know, everybody's out drinking and having a good time and, you know, they, they want to hear that beachy, islandy music. And that's just, you know, it's part of summer. So, but, uh, yeah, this wraps up Chop Rock and Wednesdays for us. Bobby, thank you so much for hanging with us tonight. No problem. Anytime. And uh, we will be talking. You, we talk every day. We'll be talking. All right. All right, brother. Later. So the last thing, the last matter of business to take care of tonight and Bill smile because he knows what's coming next is something that we've um, we're calling have you heard so have you heard question marks so me and Bill were talking and we're talking about you know there's a whole line of music that I listen to that maybe Bill doesn't listen to it's the beauty of being around people to love music and Bill has for a library of music that he loves that maybe I don't know so much about. I'll be honest, there's music that I feel that I should know more. Like there's bands that are really, really big that I know very little about. Uh, Motorhead being one of them. I don't know a whole lot of Motorhead and I, it might surprise people, but it, it's hard as a lover of music to know everything. So that's why we're opening up this segment called Have You Heard? And my song to Bill for this week was Alice Cooper's uh, Gimme off the Brutal Planet album. Uh, I want to say that was 2000. Got to look it up. It's like 2002, I think. Uh, Yeah, I want to say something like that. And then the song that you gave me, Bill, was? That was uh, Stealing by Uriah Heep. And, you know, I want to say, you know, I'll take the Uriah Heap first. For me, when I hear prog rock, there is some prog rock that I really, really enjoy. 
just because I know it. Like Genesis, I'm a big fan of Genesis. But I want to say I'm a big, bigger fan of the Phil Collins era just because of my age and where I fell out in that my youngest, my oldest son's name is Colin for Phil Collins. And I'm a big Genesis fan. But then I hear some like just mentions of other bands and I get a little timid. I get a little, am I smart enough to be listening to this kind of thing in prog rock? Because I'm not a full-time musician. Um, and Uriah Heep was always that one band that kind of scared me off. When Bill gave me this song, I went into it with as much of an open mind as I could. And I will say the first thing that hit me in this song was the harmonies. I love the harmonies. It almost had an old school vibe to me. Um, I really like, I want to liken that song almost to Sticks, if I'm not too brazen for saying so, um, just for the keyboards and the backing vocals. What do you think, Bill? Well, it's interesting that you compare it to Sticks. It certainly is something in the same time frame. Uh, that song, um, Stealin', came out in 1973, which is right around the time the Sticks was breaking through with their second album. Uh, but the band that is usually um, compared against Uriah Heep, as far as their style, is Deep Purple. Okay, that because I can definitely of, uh, hear. Because of uh, the, the heavy organ and um, you know, the uh, use of hard rock guitar. Uh, I ask you in particular to listen to this one following the last show we did with uh, Bob Mitchell. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, he was talking about uh, some of the singers he really admired uh, in rock and roll in the 70s and 80s. And one of the singers he mentioned was the late David Byron, who was Uriah Heep's vocalist. David Byron had a falsetto. He had a, I mean, he had a range in his voice that few men have. He probably, uh, on the, the high end of his range, his falsetto was probably even stronger than Robert Plant's. And Steelin' is a good example of that. Steelin' probably their biggest American hit. Um, they've had maybe about three or four hit singles in the United States, but Steelin' is probably the one that got the biggest amount of airplay because it had a major label, Warner Brothers Records, behind it. One thing, I don't know if you checked uh, who the personnel are in the band, but if you didn't, I'll uh, probably yes, make you check yeah. further. Uh, the drummer in Uriah Heep, who, play, who, who was also one of the uh, backing vocalists, is Lee Kearslake, who was Ozzy Osbourne's drummer back in the gotcha. early with Randy Rhodes. Wow. Yeah, they, they, I, I enjoyed the song. I really thought it was a great song. Now that you brought up Deep Purple, it really does have that Deep Purplish vibe to it. The ha I don't know if it was in ha uh, Hammond or not, but the organ was right. powerful. <laughs> it, it was real. I, that was probably my favorite part of the song was the organ. Um. But yeah, I, I really came out of that listening to that song to want to know more about Uriah Heep and more about their uh, their music and their everything about them. I, I really came out of that song becoming more of a Uriah Heep fan than I was. Uh, now, as far as the Alice Cooper Gimme song, any thoughts on that? Well, I'll start out by saying that it's not the first time I heard it, and it's actually not the first time that you mentioned it to me either. <laughs> uh, back a number of months ago when uh, you were doing uh, the uh, Rock and Roll Debate Club show, one of the programs we did 
was on the various eras of Alice Cooper's career. And one of the albums that came up for discussion as being sort of a lost gem in Alice's catalog was Brutal Planet. And it is, it's a great, great record. Um, I mean, uh, Bob Marlett, who did uh, the production and a lot of the songwriting for that album, I think really took Alice down a path there that um, he hadn't gone down before, but probably could have done more of. And I'm, and I'm really kind of surprised in retrospect, because it's you know, an album that's over 20 years old now. I'm surprised that the album didn't more, do more on the charts, because it's just very, very well done. Alice's vocals are spot on. They, they're, they're perfect. The production is perfect. Yeah, I mean, the video to that was powerful. I loved, I mean, when you, when you consider Alice Cooper, his faith is Christian, and when you see kind of him playing off of the other end of that, I, I love that. I love that he, it's almost a social commentary at that point. And uh, for anybody watching, just to let you guys know, Alice Cooper, Rob Zombie will be in Camden, which is a rarity. Um, but looking forward to that. But um, yeah, I mean, are you a fan of the song? Did you like the song? I thought it was excellent. So I'm very um, much a fan of the old school Alice Cooper, you know, the original band. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you so know, I, I, when I first heard this, my reaction was, "Wow, this is very different." But yeah. different doesn't mean bad. Different in this case meant really, really good. And I want to hear more of it. <laughs> so um, the one story I will say is I'll never forget uh, Alice Cooper did a Monster Mania, which was in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And it was the original Alice Cooper band. All of them were there. Uh, Michael Bruce, Dennis Dunaway. Well, no, I don't. Dennis, I believe, was gone by that point. Well, you, I think you. I think you mean Glenn. Glenn, yeah, Glenn Buxton. I'm sorry, Dennis Dunaway was there. Glenn was gone by that point. But um, what made me feel bad was they they put Alice at a table. It was him and his wife, and then on the other side was the original band. And I watched so many people leave Alice and not realize that the original band was sitting off to the other side. Oh, God Almighty. It made me feel terrible that night. There was a concert by Michael Bruce, which I thought Michael Bruce did a phenomenal job. Wasn't so big on his vocalist. I think his vocalist tried too hard to be Alice, but Michael Bruce did a phenomenal job on guitar. But uh, yeah, that was such a great night. I mean, it was cool meeting Alice and uh, just one of my all time favorites. So I don't know if you have a song off the top of your head or if this is something that we're going to talk about during the week as far as next week's segment. Well, you tell me if you want me to unveil it now, but I have one in mind. You can unveil it. Okay, the song for you is The Faith Healer by the sensational Alex Harvey Band. Yeah, see, this is stuff that I... I know little or nothing about i'm actually typing it into my phone as we speak yeah i would suggest checking out the live version of that one there's multiple versions of there but uh, the live version from their first album first live album from 1975 is the one you should listen to all right and i'm trying to think of trying to 
How well versed in Aerosmith are you, Bill? Um, not as well versed on the very early stuff, but decent. Any ideas in nobody's fault? I, I, I know the Rocks album, Backwards, Forwards, and Sideways. So there's no surprises <laughs> there. <laughs> that is my favorite album of all time from Aerosmith, Nobody's Fault being my favorite song. So I, I take it that that's going to be something that you already know about. A bit. So, so um, hmm. Trying to think. How about Faith No More? Are you familiar with Faith No More? I'm familiar with the hits, but not much else. All right, so I'm going to throw out We Care A Lot by Faith No More. That was one of their very first songs. That was pre-Michael Patton. So um, that was like their first single that they tried to put out there. Uh, I believe it was on a couple movie soundtracks, um, but that's about it. So really cool. I know it's on uh, Spotify. You, know, you can find it pretty easily. But um, that's about it. So looking ahead to next week, I know we're both here. You can hear it in my voice. See Bill coughing. We're powering through it. Bill, next week, hopefully we're feeling 100% by next week. Our guest next week is Jaron Gelino, bass player extraordinaire for Heaven's Edge and for um, Lynch Mob. All right. Jaron's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's been with us since the very, very beginning. So Jaron's a cool dude. And uh, we will be speaking with him next week. So, Bill, any parting words? I think I'm good to go. Good show this evening, definitely. Jesse was a great guest. Great guest, man. I'm so happy to have spoken to him. So, guys, until next time, don't just leave it. Leave it better. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Hey, this is Total Package. Lex Luger. You're listening to the VOC Nation. Don't miss out. VOC Nation's own Stroh Maestro suffered a major medical and financial catastrophe this year. From the VOC Nation family, to all of you, please continue to pray for Stroh Maestro for his continued recovery. You can also donate to his cause, paypal.me slash The worldwide leader in entertainment. This is the VOC Nation Radio Network. Check out In the Room every Tuesday night at 9. Listen in. Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks, former WCW star Stro Maestro, Kathy Fitz, Matt Grimm. And you and Ray are there too, right, Ray? We sure are. And we've got great guests like Lex Luger, AJ Styles, Taku, and more. It's a heck of a party. Plus, I didn't get thrown off uh, buildings. And then uh, I didn't get pregnant either. Sometimes I think it gets so ridiculous. We were getting into, like, snuff film territory there. In the room. 9 p.m. Eastern on VOC Nation. Yo, this is Jerry Stein of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian Knobs here. You get ready to get nasty? Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby. VOC Nation is one of the longest-running wrestling podcast networks. Having started way back in 2010... VOC Nation provides daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with their hosts and guests via phone calls, emails, and Twitter. 
VOC Nation hosts will include former backstage interviewer from both AWA and WWE, Ken Resnick, former WCW performer The Maestro, former Impact performer Wes Crisco, Pro Wrestling Illustrated contributor Brady Hicks, and former Philadelphia radio personality Bruce Works. Archive-free content includes past interviews with huge names like Hulk Hogan, Jesse Ventura, Kurt Angle, Jimmy Hart, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Mick Foley, Joey Styles, Howard Finkel, and so many more. Listen live at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all the podcasts by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. And be sure to follow these guys on Twitter at VOCNation. Phil After has been in the pro wrestling business for over 50 years. Hey, talking here with uh, Arn Anderson. Arn, first of all, your height and weight. 6'1", 255. And now subscribers to VOC Nation Premium get exclusive access to Bill After's archived audio footage. And uh, where's your hometown? Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, and uh, give us something about your back. First of all, your relationship to Ole Anderson. Ole is my... Subscription to VOC Nation Premium starts at just $3 a month and includes commercial-free audio and video versions of our top podcasts. Okay, we're speaking here with uh, the manager of the <coughs> World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Tarzan Tyler and Luke Graham, and he's, uh, he's sort of glowing tonight about a new prospect we haven't heard of yet. And for just $9 a month, Aptor's archives are all yours. Uh, would you tell us who this new prospect is? Well, I'll is? tell you, Bill, I've searched the world, and I finally <laughs> found a true world champion. I finally found... What's your opinion of uh, Ivan Koloff winning the title from Bruno San Martino? Well, I think, uh, I don't know what to say, but I, I want to say one thing. Uh, Bruno was a hell of a champion. Yeah. Hear exclusive interviews with the greatest performers of all time. This is Bill Actor, and once again, we're speaking here with Bruno San Martino. Bruno, first of all, how did you and Bruiser lose that title to the Valiants? Well, actually, it, it was uh, uh, a very unusual loss, if you want to call it a Did loss. Did didn't have anything to do with Well, yes, but the whole thing is that the rules, as I always understood them, was that you, the title could only be lost by pin or, or submission, which is the same rules as uh, my title, the World War Wrestling Federation. That night, uh, it was... To sign up, it's very simple. Head to premium.vocnation.com or go to patreon.com slash vocnation. VOC Nation takes you behind the scenes of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. Each and every Thursday night, check it out. WCW star Stro Maestro takes you on a journey. It's WCW Retro. Talking old school match of the week. Talking dream matches. Taking your calls and looking back on an incredible career of acting, entertaining, and wrestling. Check it out. VOCNation.com. WCW Retro. Be sure to call in Thursday nights, 9 Eastern, on the VOC Nation radio network. This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation.